Hey, everybody. I uh, hope you're enjoying Freight Waves Live at home. Uh, my name is Greg Miller. I'm a senior editor with Freight Waves and American Shipper. Uh, and today I'm here with uh, Nereus Poshkas, uh, Vice President of Global Ocean at Flexport. Uh, Nereus, uh, thanks for being with us. It's always great to talk. Thanks for having me, Greg. Like you said, my name is Nereus Poshkas, where uh, I am a Vice President of Global Ocean Freight at Flexport the platform for global logistics. Uh, what I do at Flexport is basically I'm leading a, a global team that's building Ocean Freight 2.0. I'm focused on technology and processes that are needed to simplify and digitize Ocean Freight. An example of that would be performance-based contracts that are very much needed to simplify this industry. Great. So what we're going to be talking about today is this incredible congestion, not just at the ports, but across the entire global supply chain uh, and uh, specifically what that means to cargo shippers and and what are the strategies that they can use to navigate all this. And I just want to start by sort of setting the stage and going back to how we got here. Um, first quarter of 2020, we had the Wuhan shutdown, uh, uh, the closure of the Chinese exports to the U.S. Then uh, I guess it was around the third week of March, uh, we talked about this, there was a sudden drop-off uh, in the bookings from the United States side, a lot of cancellations, as the U.S. side was facing its own lockdowns. Uh, so there was a drop in demand there, and in response, uh, the liner operators blanked or canceled about 20% of their Trans-Pacific uh, capacity during the second quarter. Uh, it turns out they canceled too much. Demand didn't fall as much as they thought. Uh, started ramping back up again in the summer. Uh, the carriers put their uh, ships back into service, put even more ships back into service. Demand kept rising. And then it was sort of a guessing question as to when would this sort of uh, trail off. At first, people were even talking about after Golden Week in October. That didn't happen. Then we talked about the end of the year. That didn't happen. Uh, Chinese New Year's, sounding like a broken record. That didn't happen. Uh, and then we're talking about the, we start to talk about the first half of this year was going to be the end. And that's pretty much off the table now. So we're talking more towards the end of this year earliest. And I think when we talk about all this, the first thing to discuss would be demand, uh, import demand. That's really what's driving uh, all of these blockages. And you can look at demand in a couple of ways. You can look at it as basic retail consumption, and you could also look at it as, in terms of inventory restocking, sort of the catch-up effect. And uh, yes, I wonder if you could talk about sort of the numbers uh, and the commentary uh, from customers that you're seeing in terms of where we are right now in terms of cargo demand, both from a retail point of view and from a restocking point of view. Yeah, thanks for a great question. Uh, indeed, the ocean freight market right now is unlike anything I've ever seen. Just to give some stats for, for the listeners, if you look at Trans-Pacific imports into the U.S., this March, and you compare it to last March 2020, they're up almost 86% year over year. Well, you can say that the data in 2020 was a bit skewed because of coronavirus, right? But if you compare 2021 March over 2019 March, it's still up over 55%. Well, that's some staggering stats for you. Uh, if you look in April, the growth is not as significant. It's roughly 25, 28 uh, percent, 2020, 2019, respectively, also for March. Uh, the reason why they're slightly down is the ever given, the ever given block the Suez Canal, right, for six days. So U.S. East Coast received six days less of imports. So we are going to see even larger increase in the month of May. 
So to answer your question, what's what's driving it? Uh, like you said, record consumption is one. Retail sales are up. Restocking is a very big one, and there are two reasons for restocking. One is inventories are low. Two is companies own goods to consumers. There are so many people that bought something that hasn't been delivered. So it's not even restocking, it's like a debt. Uh, and a third reason is e-commerce. Uh, companies continuously adopt or change to e-commerce. And in my opinion, if you are competing with Amazon or other giants and you want to compete with two hour, one day, whatever, fast delivery, you have to have more inventory in the country, across the country to be able to do that. Let's talk about a few examples, uh, specifics. One of the largest, if not the largest commodities that's coming into the US from Trans-Pacific is furniture. Retail sales are up 25% this year compared to last year. But if you look at the actual TEU count, or TEU is a 20 equivalent unit, a container, a small one, it's up 3x year over year, 2021 versus 2020. And it's 2x over 2019 for the same period, right, year to date. So what does it tell me is restocking has been much larger than the actual growth. Now, not to expand too much, but this would indicate to me that once restocking is complete, things should improve. However, uh, rising costs and shortage of raw materials at origin, they have delayed production. Uh, causing backlog also for new orders. I have actually discussed with quite a few importers and some of them are waiting for POs to even start being manufactured for 60, 90, and in some cases, 300 days. So, well, that tells you it's going to last. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the demand side also goes to this whole timing question that we keep having. I mean, if you look at the calendar, we have uh, we have the tr traditional peak season coming up. Uh, we have, you know, back to school uh, to the extent people, I guess people are going back to school. Uh, you have fall fashion. Uh, and then after that, you have uh, the Christmas season. So on top of everything that's happened so far, we have, you know, sort of the normal surge. Uh, and then, of course, we have Chinese New Year uh, 2022, which is usually preceded by a surge. So uh, do you have any thoughts on, any idea of when we could see this demand finally pull back? Because that really goes to when the system can get itself back into order. Yeah, it, it really feels like we are in a, a never-ending peak season. I told my team a few years ago that when tariffs were implemented, that it's a temporary peak season, you can all take a holiday soon, uh, things will improve. Well, that didn't happen. 220, we had coronavirus, we are still kind of in peak season, right? Whether it's capacity constrained, peak, or peak because people are importing a lot, it really seems like it's never ending. There is an end in sight, if you think about it, but nobody really knows when when it's gonna happen and what that end will uh, look like. I, I like a, a joke basically that uh, back in 2020, if you asked 100 economists what would happen uh, when COVID hit China at first, uh, all of them would probably have said the economy is going down, imports will be, consumption will go down, prices will fall for shipping. Well, all of them are wrong. So I'm not going to predict really how long this is going to last, but we'll say a few things that could be helpful for the importers. In my opinion, the economy can only absorb these pressures of low reliability and high prices for so long before something has to give. 
Uh, remember last time we spoke, I referenced a furniture client who was willing to pay $15,000 to import a container. Well, they were importing couches. Um, and these couches are selling for $1,000. So I believe those prices will not be sustainable for a long time. Yeah, and the, the demand side is, is really uh, only part of the equation. Uh, there's also the issue of supply. And when we talk about supply, we're talking about uh, the number of ships, and we're talking about the number of containers, the equipment itself. So uh, let me just start with the ship side, and I have some stats here myself. Um, Alpha Liner, data from early May, 2.4% of the entire global fleet is inactive, just 24 and that all of that is really ships that are in the yards right now uh, doing maintenance. Uh, it's ships that are stuck for other reasons, such as the Ever Given being under arrest in Egypt. Uh, it's ships under sanction. So everything that can float is floating. And you can see that in the charter market. Uh, uh, when, a when a ship comes up for a charter renewal, the prices are just uh, reaching astronomical levels. Again, from Alpha Liner recently, an 8,800 TEU, TEU ship was just taken for five years uh, at 48,500 a day. Uh, a 5,500 TEU ship was just taken for three years at 39,000 per day. So incredible there. And then, so you think, okay, what about all these new builds? You see these headlines about all these new builds being ordered. Well, that's not really gonna help either. Um, right now, the uh, order book is about 17% of the on the water fleet. And that's not actually that high. Uh, you need 15% just to replace your older ships. And all of those uh, vessels that are being ordered now are for delivery in 2023 and 2024. When you look at the ships that are delivered in 2022, those were ordered a few years ago, and the ordering then was also low. Um, so for what I know, the number of uh, container ships that are going to hit the water next year, new, is going to be less than the number of ships that hit the water this year. So there's really no relief on that front. Uh, the one thing I would say is it's not just the number of ships in the world. It's it's the, the effective capacity based upon their sailings. And so just like in the second quarter of 2020, we had these blank sailings, and those were specific for specific capacity management reasons. We have blank sailings now for another reason. That's because the ships can't get back to Asia fast enough to pick up their loads. Uh, so what have you seen uh, in terms of the Trans-Pacific operational blank sailings that have happened recently? And how does that really affect sort of the effect of ship supply going forward? Yep, indeed, there are blank sailings uh, on a weekly basis to U.S. East Coast, PNW and PSW, Pacific Northwest and Pacific uh, Southwest. Uh, I don't see those blank sailings really going away. Uh, what I could say is infrastructure is not going to change overnight. Like even if you added more ships or you had less blank sailings, like there is congestion in Los Angeles, there is congestion in Oakland, there is congestion all over the world. At the same time, there is also a backlog building in Asia where some shippers are holding freight because the prices in the market are too high uh, and they're waiting, you know, depends what you're importing. So to me, even if we had more vessels or the vessels were running faster, let's say because congestion was not as severe as it is today, we are also facing very severe container shortages in the world. And it has been happening for a very long time. It looked like container availability is going to slightly improve uh, at the end of March, but then because of Evergreen, it, it got all messed up again. So to, to answer your question, it is going to last. Uh, and the blank sailings, 
even if they went away, things would not improve right away because there are other bottlenecks in supply chain. Right. And I guess that brings us to the big question of price, uh, price and availability. Uh, to the extent there's not container equipment available, you see these spot rates go up. So uh, let's turn to that. Uh, on the spot rate side of it, um, you know, the rates have been incredible. And there's been some incredible rises just in the last couple of days. What are you seeing in terms of the spot rates on um, uh, Trans-Pacific West Coast and Trans-Pacific East Coast? And not just the spot markets, but of course, that's only part of the story. What are you seeing uh, with regards to all of these uh, charges that are put on top uh, just to get your, your cargo loaded? It's it's almost an auction out there. Indexes show high fours to the U.S. West Coast and high fives to the U.S. East Coast, uh, with some exceptions for Southeast Asia. But in many cases, cargo has to pay big, big premiums in order to get moving. And the premiums can be to secure equipment because equipment is scarce. Uh, or ensure no roll, or ensure er early booking releases. So three to five thousand dollars extra on top of what you're seeing on the indexes is not unusual to pay. In some cases, I have an example where one client from Southeast Asia was trying to get space last minute to U.S. East Coast, and they have off they have been offered nineteen thousand dollars per one forty foot container from Vietnam to New York. So prices are all over the board for Trans Pacific. Real quick, Asia Europe is picking back up. Prices are over $10,000 per container, not for the whole market, but at least for spot. And the most interesting to me, at least, is transatlantic, where prices have hit over $5,000 port to port. Considering that it's quite balanced, imports and exports, the transatlantic eastbound pays less than westbound, but still well. In my opinion, that's the best moneymaker for shipping lines these days. And it's really not just about the price, is it? It's about you know, can you get uh, a cargo move for any price? And there was, you know, uh, it's been very, very tight this month. But when you look at, you know, how far uh, uh, ships are, you know, basically sold out and how how much, the, how long the wait's going to be, uh, what are you seeing right now? Yeah, booking 14 days in advance used to be a normal practice. Now we are talking about 30, in some cases, 45 plus days of wait times just to get your SO released. In reality, what it really varies by service, by contract type, premium contracts get space released, in some cases twice as fast as your regular contracts. Uh, and at the same time, there is a queue building. So it's the 30 to 45, 10 days ago was probably 25 to 30. Uh, so the queue is getting longer every single week, uh, which tells me there is a big, big backlog building in Asia. I would predict there are a few hundred thousand containers that are being rolled every single week, and it's getting worse. Some good news for the market is new services on Trans-Pacific have been launched. One to the West Coast uh, has been launched at the beginning of May from central China and Taiwan to Oakland and Los Angeles. And another one is coming up uh, from Vietnam, Malaysia, Singapore to Charleston, Savannah, and New York. Uh, by two MLIs. So it's not going to solve all the issues in the market, but hopefully at least the backlog uh, will stop increasing and it will normalize. The booking times will normalize at about 30 days or so. I mean, so this raises the big question. With all this in mind, uh, what do you advise shippers? What What are the strategies they can use uh, to get through all this? Yeah. One and probably the most important is move fast. Things change really, really quickly. We previously find solutions for clients shipping via, for example, Panama. 
transshipped to the West Coast for cargo moving from Shanghai. That's almost unheard of to do so. Today, this option is gone. Uh, at the same time, you could also look at using transloading options. Uh, US West Coast is slightly has slightly more capacity than the US East Coast and PNW. So I'm specifically talking about Los Angeles. Uh, so transloading is good for many reasons. One, carriers are restricting cargo that moves on IPI. IPI means inland point locations such as Chicago, Memphis, Kansas City. You probably have all heard those places are very congested. In some cases, it takes for the shipping lines 60 days or so for a container leaving Los Angeles to go to Kansas City and come back. And with container shortages, right, the shipping lines need those containers empty back in China. So if you can, ship only to Los Angeles, arrange transloading with uh, a local provider. It will help the container availability. It will improve your transit times. Few other suggestions is LCL, believe it or not, but some large importers are breaking down full boxes into LCL shipments and getting some capacity released earlier. And the last one would be NORs on non-operating reefers. In today's market where nobody can get space, some of the non-operating reefers are still moving empty because the trade for those is imbalanced. They specifically are needed in Seattle, Tacoma, Oakland, sometimes Los Angeles, US East Coast, and used to be Kansas City, but that's now too congested. So to sum it up, move fast. There are options out there. It's tough, but we're gonna get through this. You know, the other, I mean, just looking longer term, really briefly, um, if you look at what happened in the second quarter of 2020 with the capacity management, if you look at how consolidated the liners are, uh, you know, when the demand does pull back, uh, do you think it's possible that uh, shippers need to plan for uh, sort of higher prices, not this high, but higher prices indefinitely? And does that mean they have to look at the business model again? Indeed, looking far ahead, one big advice that I would have for the importers is ensure you have good forecasts. The supply and demand issues aren't going away. The carriers have consolidated. Uh, have diversified carrier portfolio. The blank sailings will come back into the market if, uh, if, if, if demand slows down. And most important, in my opinion, you cannot build your supply chain based on trust. It's kind of how today it works, right? You have your contracts, you get your prices, and you pray for the best, and it doesn't work that way. So in my opinion, supply chains in the future will be or will have to be built on data and digitally enforced. Whether I'm talking about contracts, bookings, space releases, that innovation cannot happen unless the shippers are demanding it more. So that's probably my biggest advice. advice. Uh, for the listeners. Well, these are just really amazing times and it's always great to, to talk with you about this. Uh, I'm sure we're going to be talking again a, a lot in the future. Uh, Marius, I just want to thank you very much for being with us. Thank you, Greg, for having me. It was a pleasure. And, and if anyone needs to get in touch with you, how can they get in touch? How can they learn more? Um, my first name at flexport.com. All right. Thank you very much. Thank you.